The Fantasy Animation Podcast takes its listeners on a journey through the colliding and sometimes competing worlds of fantasy storytelling and the medium of animation. Each episode, we select an example of fantasy animation and consider the ways in which it functions to inspire and use our imaginations within the sphere of all things that are sculpted, composed, crafted and drawn. To help support the show, please subscribe via your podcast feed and give us a like and a quick review. It takes no more than a minute, but it really helps us to grow our audience. You can also find our archive of podcasts and our weekly blog at fantasy-animation.org. You'll find the latest reviews there, features, editorials, all written by academics, writers, historians and professional animators working within these overlapping media, mediums and genres. Failing all that, tell your friends, tell a friend about the show and the good work we do here. There's no substitution for good old-fashioned word of mouth, so thanks for downloading and I really hope you enjoy the show. Hi again, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I'm Alex Sargent. And I'm Chris Holliday. Today, Chris, it's time to talk about Free Guy. This is a film I believe you have a little bit of an affection for. Yeah. I can see a lovely, warm smile on your face, and I intend to rid you of it through the next hour of conversation. Uh... But... Uh, but an interesting film in many ways, um, and a film that touches on, I don't know, gaming culture, um, the kind of imaginative response to gaming, ideas of play. Yep. Um, I think it's riffing on a lot of kind of stalwarts in this genre, from The Truman Show to The Matrix to Lego Movie. So there's lots of fun, funness to be had, uh, both as a concept and as a kind of aesthetic. So lots of things that touches on ideas of fantasy for me. For yes, um, I am interested in some of the digitally assisted long takes. Um, I wrote down Truman Show plus they live um, yes yeah sure uh, mm-hmm. which I'd sort of forgotten I'd seen but then when I watched Free Guy I thought I think this is like they live um, stuff on kind of obviously fictional worlds we've talked previously we've done footnote episodes on fictional worlds mm-hmm. and obviously this is about world building and stuff um, and obviously it's also talking about digital culture more generally so stuff about the kind of AI engines that are fundamental to the narrative which is about intellectual property and stuff and I also think that this film is is part of, uh, maybe we can get into the sort of pleasures of things like, n- not just complex storylines, but you know the, the move towards mul- multiverses and layered fictional worlds, and as you say, the stuff like Lego Movie and all this sort of stuff. So I'm really interested in this film in relation to, or as a symptom of a kind of baroque storytelling mode in relation to stuff like Ready Player One, the Wreck-It Ralph movies, sort of folding d- digital culture representing itself kind okay. of thing. So we'll do some of that. Yeah. Yeah. To help us along such a journey <laughs> to do and, it. and to do more, yes. uh, we are very uh, pleased to be joined by Professor Mark Bold, a Professor of Film and Literature at UWE, University of West England. Um, he is also the author, well, he's author of, of a countless numbers of really great and important works uh, discussing science fiction and, and politics and aesthetics and philosophy from various different approaches. But most recently, he is the author of The Anthropocene Unconscious Climate Catastrophe Culture, No Punctuation. Uh, he asks. Uh, he asks and, and gets a nod from the guest, uh, and the and also um, co-editor of the collection with Steve Shapiro. Uh, this is not a science fiction textbook. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Well, no, it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, when we were having a conversation about what film you might pick, knowing your work and knowing kind of um, some of the politically engaged. Uh, readings of science fiction to explore. I'm not convinced I knew we'd be talking about Ryan Reynolds, but no, here no, we no. are. So I guess the opening question has to be Free Guy. Why Why Free Guy? Yeah, why, did you, why did you want to chat about that? Free, free Guy discuss. Yeah. Well, because she'd already done all the other films I suggested. Oh, yeah, that's probably. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll cut no, that out. Yeah. Uh, uh, free Guy, I found it absolutely fascinating. Um, when you read about the sort of history of classical Hollywood, mm-hmm. Um, sooner or later you come across this idea of the genius of the system yep. um, Thomas Schatz is yep. the, the author of the book mm-hmm. does that and you know so you, and this is part of the challenge in multiple directions towards auteurism but you know you're there you're working for Warner Brothers you've got a script adapted from a play that's never run 
Um, you haven't got an ending to the script. Every leading man you've asked to be involved, even Ronald Reagan, has turned it down. <laughs> and suddenly you make Casablanca. Sure. How does that come together? And I think Free Guy, I mean, don't get me wrong, Free Guy is no Casablanca. Um, <laughs> but it, well, <laughs> well, 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 well. Let's I don't want to get too controversial. Yeah, let's, let's, sure. Um, and then you, you, I, you know, I enjoyed Free Guy more than I thought I was going yeah. to when I saw it. Um, and... I was intrigued by how it came together. Um, so it's the first film from Fox mm -hmm. after it's Fox Studios, after it's been bought by Disney. Disney yep, yep. Um, and then you look at the pedigree of the people behind it. You have Matt Lieberman, um, who was one of the screenwriters who started his screenwriting career with a Dr. Doolittle straight-to-video movie. Right. Um, he's responsible for uh, playing with fire, the John Senna comedy, yeah. in inverted commas. Sure. Um, the Kurt Russell Santa movies. Scoob. Oh, yes, uh, Christmas Chronicles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's currently writing the Short Circuit reboot. So there's okay. nothing there that would suggest he could make this movie. Mm -hmm. You look at his co-writer, Zach Penn, whose career starts with the story for Last Action Hero, which okay. should destroy everybody's career, not just John <laughs> McTiernan's. And somehow it doesn't. And he goes on, does the Inspector Gadget movie, Electra, X-Men Last Stand, the, the yep. terrible, terrible Brett Ratner movie. The TV series Alphas, which I'm actually quite fond of because it was so terrible, with David Strathern and a team of oh, like people with superpowers. Yeah. But in my head, I always have it mixed up with the Breakout Kings and the reboot of Tomorrow People, because I was watching them at the same That's time. Right. So I never quite <laughs> separate them out. Um, and uh, the Ed Norton Incredible Hulk is his yeah. work. Okay. Ready Player One, which yeah. is a terrible, terrible film. Um, and he's currently working on Karate Kid too. So there's nothing there to suggest he's capable of this script, which, you know, he, uh, Lieberman wrote the original draft. It was one of the... Um, uh, blacklist scripts, wasn't it? That, that, right. That, uh, uh, right. Like That's unproduced. Yeah, 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 that yeah, sits yeah. in a vault yeah. somewhere. And then you look at Sean Levy, or Levi, have you pronounced it? I say Levy like it's a taxation. Um, <laughs> or, and when the levy breaks, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, so he begins his... T I mean, he did a lot of TV work, but he's, his first film is a Frankie Muniz comedy, Big Fat Liar. He does the awful Steve Martin movie, Stupid by the Dozen and, mm -hmm. and uh, The Pink Panther. He's responsible for Night at the Museum. He goes on from Free Guy to make The Adam Project. Oh, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, just, yeah. Awful in every imaginable way. He's attached to do Deadpool 3, which is going to kill that franchise. Again, <laughs> nothing there that suggests he is capable of this movie. Right. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, I, I, you know, I remember the first time I saw Ryan Reynolds, it was in Blade Trinity. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. Thought, yeah. Who is this guy? You know, he's, I mean, he had to carry a lot of weight there because of Wesley Snipes not turning up on set. Yeah, yeah not opening his eyes. And yeah, all that CGI kind of stuff. Eyes, yeah, and it yeah. wasn't like seeing um, Ed Norton for the first time, it, which for me was uh, round as the John Dahl oh, yeah, crime yeah, yeah, movie. With, with Matt Damon, yeah. And I came out and thought, my God, this guy could do anything. He, sure. he, he hasn't been quite that good since then. Not least because of Zach Penn's Incredible Hulk movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then what happens to Ryan Reynolds? He just makes rubbish for years until, like, is it 2010 he does Buried? And you cheer at the end uh, when, yeah. he's, when he's still in the coffin? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so Somehow, Deadpool, and to my surprise, the Hitman's bodyguard, bodyguard yeah. movies, yeah. suddenly transform if something gets right. You know, so we, we won't mention Green Lantern. No, um, he doesn't. Yeah. Though, oh, no, actually, that's not true. He, he does. does. Yeah. Yes. He does uh, yeah. in the Deadpool movies. And of course, Taika Waititi's in Green Lantern as well, so another crossover ah, figure. Yeah. But, you know, Ryan Reynolds is this curious figure. I was thinking of him as like the, uh, I don't know, the, 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 the Woody Allen for millennials. Right. Um, in the... Um, he goes from what uh, um, it was Eugene Byrne called him a piggy-eyed charisma vacuum. He goes from that to this kind of curious performance of uh, nervous, anxious masculinity mm. in two different modes. There's the kind of Deadpool mole mode where, where he's you know, just being a dick and knowing he shouldn't be, mm -hmm. but doing it anyway. Yeah. And there's this kind of um, you know friendly, charming, very Canadian um, performance of masculinity. And so there's a kind of, there's a bolt up Ryan Reynolds underneath all of this, but also anxiety around masculinity. Mm -hmm. So overall, you know, he also does, you know, he, you know, he's guilty of things like the Pokemon movie, Six Underground and Red Notice and things like that through this strand. So Ryan Reynolds could maybe be responsible for this movie, but you look at that group of people and you'd no way you'd, yeah. you'd imagine they come out with this movie. So that was where my fascination with it started. This, what the, how did, how did this happen? So like as the film as a sort of industrial object. Yeah. Um, so if, if it was, if it used to be called the genius of the system, mm. this movie is the symptom of some sort of, 
fracture in the system, system or, or you know um, suddenly uh, media c- conglomeration being yes. used for good yes <laughs> which which is not plausible uh, <laughs> so yeah. it is very very curious that this film should emerge yeah no i think my my curiosity in kind of linking it to the to the um baroque these kinds mm. of movies that seem to be these ip crossover extravaganzas yeah. so it is and I, and I think contemporary disney post wreck it ralph i would say but also, you know, the, the, the Marvel movies, of course, but there are things like space, you know, the, the reboot of the Space Jam or the, the sequel, whatever it is, of the Space Jam films, the Tom and Jerry, the um, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, all these kind of, let's just chuck everything in there, everything everywhere all at once yeah. sort of yeah. thing, like get it all in there. Um, and that's part of its kind of spectacle. So it's making a spectacle out of, um, yeah, IP crossovers, intellectual property, sort of, yeah, mashups. Uh, it's playing, vis- it's playing out conglomeration as a sort of spectacle and characters move through all these different sort of universes so I think there's yeah I think from that perspective it feels and I'd love to know your thoughts on what on why these movies are existing sort of thing because we've talked a lot I think on podcast about things like multiverses and complex storylines and and yep these films do these things but I'm really interested in the sort of what is it why are these movies like this happening because there's a lot of multiverse which you know, as listeners yeah. will find out. Uh, sure, sure. But well, there's multiverses and there's kind of I don't know what these are. These kind of IP. This is what I mean. But yeah. smash, smash, yeah. smash, uh, smash ups. You know. But, like, of, but uh, where, so where do the where do the what's the moment if there is a kind of cultural moment? Is there a sort of is there a sort of thing that's happened beyond the fact that Disney's buying all these companies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you know part of it is straightforwardly you know corporate power. Yeah. That once Disney owns everything, you know, and it was because of the. Uh, buy out of Fox that yep. they were then able to get permission to use yep. the Captain America shield, the Thor, yes. the Hulk arm, and the lightsaber. Yeah. And they had to ask for permission, were given it. Some of the other um, references outwards, which I really don't know for myself because I'm not a game player. At no, all. no, no, me neither. You no, know, I really. played Minesweeper on my PC years and years ago, and that's yeah. about the limit of it. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, that does yeah. I don't think that's in there. Yeah, no, I remember no. that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so. What's really curious is where they are borrowing from other games. Some of them are straightforward borrowings because they own the property. Yep. And then two of the guns I was reading, I think it's the Mega Gun and the Portal Gun, which oh, are yes. from Mega Man and Portal. Portal, I have played that. I have actually played that. I've heard, well, one, I've heard of it, and two, I've played it. I'm not a big gamer as well, um, so I didn't. didn't they are legally distinct. There's been some right. kind of okay. process going on around the IP and the ownership of that, that they're sufficiently distinct that they don't have to pay the rights for using things or get permission for using things they don't already own. Right. Legally uh, distinct. distinct. That's an yeah. interesting uh, phrase. Absolutely yeah. identical, but yeah. otherwise yeah. Yeah. distinct. Yeah. Legally yeah. distinct. Okay. So certainly part of it is that kind of driver of you know who owns what. So um, you know mm. not being able to, what was the thing they couldn't get for Ready Player One? Was it the Iron Man? There was something they had to substitute yeah. right. in. I can't think what it was. Um, from 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 the novel, they had to have a different character because they couldn't get the rest of it. So there, there's those kinds of things going on, and I think also um, this kind of hyper distracted yep. um, attention universe. Is it attention universe? If it's hyper distracted, I don't know. Um, so uh, Thomas Alcester, when he talks about complex narratives, he yeah. probably um, uh, ascribe this to some kind of productive pathology to do with um, he, he would call it a paranoia it's not not using it in a clinical sense in a, in a, um, in a metaphorical sense of yeah. being able to make connections and links is actually part of what's required by uh, a culture of precarious labor online mm. um, and you know the information channels that were bombarded with you uh, you know we used to being distracted so cramming all this stuff in makes sense i think it's also the form of the film uh, one of the things i find fascinating about this kind of film when it's done well unlike ready player one mm. um is how drillable it is so um the, the you know the second time through you spot things you didn't spot the first time and think oh that's a reference to something where's that from and you begin and there's lots of background gags in the movies which first time through probably yeah. too quick to notice like when dude ha- holds up a bag full of cats at the end okay. um because the cat lady who keeps losing her case stood next to her right. um so th- there's lots of stuff like that going on so it encourages you to watch it multiple times engage yep. with the ip multiple times um, so distressingly, there is a Free Guy 2 script. Yes. Um, though it doesn't seem to have gone into pre-production yet. 
as okay. far as I could find. Because right, he's making sequels to anything that he can get his yeah. hands on the you know, next temple. That's interesting. Yeah. So I like that idea of kind of paranoia and hyper. Well, I felt very it's very stimulating, like hyper stimulation and stuff. And and obviously that's folded into the way it's produced in terms of visual effects and all the hypermediacy and all the. Uh, glasses off and on that yeah. tell you what the world is and then what it's really like the kind of mechanisms behind it and all this sort of stuff um, when he sees nothing and puts glasses on and then sees like a, a medical kit and stuff and all these different like you know so yeah. there's some interesting stuff about kind of access and things like this um, but it's also because you yeah you kind of mentioned that pre- kind of precarious labor. the whole film is in the narrative of the film is interesting because it's about a character who's trying to fight a big kind of corporate mm. machine and, and so Jodie Comer's character is trying to work through the spaces of the game to find something that will prove that an idea was stolen so it's it perhaps is a little bit more interesting than chucking everything Alex is looking at me in no 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 I'm not I'm, I'm thinking that I think with some of these films that we're mentioning and yeah. this one in particular I think this one gets it right for the most part yes is tone and it's when there's this kind of balancing act these films trying to try to have which is between how much how much to 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 think and have things to think about in the movie how much to be silly and to allow the frivolousness of what's going on to be acknowledged on screen and how much to kind of um critique or to be knowing in in that approach and the kind of it needs all three kind of to work and largely this from just about gets away with it in the kind of it, to make it enjoyable i mean other examples where it gets it wrong would be something like I know Pixels is a film we haven't mentioned yet, but that's a film that that's oh, so <laughs> and again time for some quotation marks wacky in its Ooh. desire to kind of not take it seriously that you're sort of sitting there going yeah what so what is the point in any of this right and this film weaves in some ideas that it kind of wants us to think about riffing yeah. on things like The Matrix, The Truman Show, um, uh, yeah with the John Carpenter yeah um, they live they live yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Then we've got Ryan Reynolds kind of with an arched eyebrow, um, t- almost yeah. taking the mick out of the very idea that this thing would have ideas whilst presenting the ideas. Then you've got the kind of opportunity for self-critique with a character like Jodie Comer taking on the capitalist system within a movie like Free Guy. So I don't know, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's that classic um, pop culture tries to do both things at the same time and therefore can be popular to everybody. So how much do you kind of go well done, you've done it, and kind of give it a round of applause, and how much do you kind of just sit back, fold your arms grumpily and go, this is really annoying, mm. you know, mm. and I'm not really sure um, where I am quite with the movie yet on that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, part of it is um, they've, <laughs> at some point, they've clearly gone, you know, uh, Zach, we don't want the tone you did for Ready Player One, we want Phil Lord and Chris Miller to write yeah, this yeah. movie, we yeah, can't yeah. afford them. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it's come to you guys. And, you know, you get the tone right. You get the tone as close to the Lego movie as yeah. you can. I mean, the opening section, the way he wakes up, goes for yeah. coffee, or it literally seems like, it's, I've written down, is this a live action remake of the Lego movie, right? You know, yeah, you know yeah. they could start singing Everything is Awesome at that point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, the, you know, the critique is about as effective, slightly less effective probably than the Lego movie. Yeah. It, is, is it, there are some nicely Canadian bits to the critique as well. So the critique of America's obsession with guns. Sure. Yes. And, you know, that's... That's from north of the border, that one. That's a gag from Canadians yeah, at the expense yeah. of Americans. Because on the other hand, you know, that might hit something, whereas criticising capitalism, you know, when, when you're working for Disney, they, they let you do it because they know they can sell. Yeah, no, um, it's interesting. Yeah, there's a line, isn't it, when he's introducing this world, the sunglasses people, right, the mm-hmm. players. So there's, he's a non-player in the world... So he's supposed to be a sort of background character for humans who are playing the game to interact with. Um, the players are these people with sunglasses, and he says the thing about the players is they get to do anything they want. But actually what that means is they're allowed to basically be as violent as they want or spend as much as they want. Uh, mm. That seems to be the two ways in which freedom mm. is expressed in the movie. And you're right, I think it's almost better when it's doing the critique of sort of the culture of violence surrounding all these things than it is. I liked the storyline of... How do I how do I get points by being good? Yeah. And the Jody Coma yeah. going, well, no one's ever tried that, you know. Um, yeah. that, I thought that was all interesting enough stuff. Yeah. Well, I, a couple of things. I I I'd forgotten how quickly Ryan Reynolds' character guy works it out. I, I remember it being a lot longer, but the film is obviously less interested in the way of the world as it is, and more interested in his response to it, which is why they kill off 
do they kill off Channing Tatum? Or they just get rid of him, they don't they? Just get rid of, of Channing Tatum as this sort of um, player. Um, the other thing, I was, I was thinking about the difference between Ryan Reynolds and Jodie Comer's characters because Ryan Reynolds seems to me to set the tone for the films he's in. So the films that he's in adopt his sort of flippant sarcasm, ironic wink, um, and that's a function of genre, so stuff like The Proposal, let's say, or he's the sarcastic one in a very superficial kind of movie, I don't know. In this film, he doesn't seem to set the tone. There are other... Like, Jodie Comer's character takes the whole thing really seriously, and I think that really grounds it, because she's... she's a, she, Her real-world character, rather than her avatar... Is is kind of fraught, a little bit fraught, and she plays it. It reminds me of the Muppet Christmas Carol, where Michael Caine's like, "I will do this. I sure. will play this. I will play this dead straight." And I feel now like you she, say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you'll all be thinking it, but but he he's the only one that treats it like his his best mate in it is very serious, and and I, I like the I like the discrepancy between the you know there are different characters have different stakes, and he's the flippant one, but his flippantness doesn't seem to seep out into other characters in the way that some of his films just end up being super ironic, which is then fueled by the way that he is on chat shows, the way that he, you know, that yeah. shtick, people get a bit tired, I think, of that shtick. So I'm pleased that the film has some, I think you're right, Alex, it does some serious things, or at least has something to say, and that is reflected in a tone where some of the characters, and I know this is sort of, I'm treating this quite seriously, this movie that I'm in that's kind of a bit ludicrous. Like, So I, I, I'd forgotten how much of a really nice tension there is between Jodie Comer's character and, and Guy, essentially. Mm. And I think that's why you know um, he can't do romantic comedies at all well, um, because that shtick that we know him for is always there, that sarcasm, that... Uh, that knowing wink is always there, so he can't do sincerity. So it needs a movie ah, like this yeah. where he can do sincerity because we don't have to believe in it as sincerity. So the yeah. the sort of semi romance with yeah. uh, Molotov girl Millie, and then the the lovely ending when he sends her out into the world to find the real guy she loves. He couldn't play that unless the movie had this. Um, gentler tone that was yeah. prescribing his character. And that kind of framing narrative, you mean yeah. that kind of framing narrative where there are real world stakes yeah. out there? Yeah. Okay, so there's, so that means that the stuff that happens, because he's in a video game, that justifies his he has this kind lack of, of sincerity. Lack of sincerity, yeah, but yeah. then it means he can play sincerity without us being suspicious of it. It allows yes. us that space. Yeah. He's, 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 kind of, he's an extra fictional force yeah. in the world. He's, his, his masculinity is a fictional masculinity even within the world of the film, so we can be it, it, we can relax into it because because the film doesn't ask us to take it yeah, seriously absolutely, absolutely. even when it's being serious yeah. i can see what you're saying yeah absolutely because it, yeah i mean there's lots of there's lots of and he's like there's lots of references to how attractive he is yeah. but it's always a kind of it's it's set up within the film as an impossible ideal of masculinity even within that framework. Yeah, so you think about, you know, he does this kind of doubleness a lot. So you think about, I was just re-watching Hobson Shaw oh, yeah. last yeah. night, uh, and cool. his little cameo yeah, the character yeah. as the agent in there, where he has to have this um, yeah. full-on emotional connection to The Rock, which doesn't actually exist from The Rock's point of view. And he has the bloody violent shootout at the end yeah. as well. He's a curious sort of figure I think for all kinds of, for all kinds of sure. reasons both his relationship to Rex and Football Club which yeah. is just an interesting <laughs> oh he's doing that now yeah. um, but how he refers to his own career obviously the Deadpool films are, are sort of intensified versions mm. of things like this but it's also a film that I feel like he could Free Guy Free Guy could only really star Ryan Reynolds yeah. in some way like he is the he it's it, I don't know whether it was ever one of those films like like Jim Carrey. A lot of his films were were initially written as straight, and then like Ace Ventura, and then when he gets cast, it transforms the film. That's that's that never seems the case with Ryan Reynolds. He's never coming along. Like the films seem to be written for him, so he can do his. Exactly. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think Mark, what you said earlier about his sort of career trajectory. I think he's worked out now what he both can do and what he cannot yeah. do. Yes. And it is the yeah, sort of traditional yeah. pattern of casting and off-casting. So you look at things like Six Underground and yep. Red Notice with the yep. extra, pretty much straight action movies. That allows him to bank money in friendships for people to then do cameos in his movie. So they're like the voice work for The Rock Rocky in this one. and yeah, Hugh yep. Jackman and that's probably Sean Levy's connection. Um, yeah. Tina Fey. Um, Chris Evans popping up because yeah, yeah, he just... was in town filming something else and he said okay I'll come and do a cameo as long as I can be in an office 
on and off the set in 10 minutes yeah. and things like that. So, And then you do have that weird, um, actually those most of those are actually interesting for a different reason, but you do have that weird thing circulating at the moment of like, the Rock having a cameo, or Channing Tatum having a cameo, or Ryan Reynolds having a yeah. It seems to have bred a generation of people willing to yeah. do Or the Rock stopping cameo. people have cameos yeah. in things, yes, yeah. yes. But that oh. kind of uncredited cameo. Um, so Channing Tatum and Ryan Reynolds uh, in Bullet Train. Yeah. Um, I don't think either of them are credited. Ryan Reynolds certainly isn't. I don't think Channing Tatum is either. So what? So, but it seems like it's the same pool of yeah. Every time it's the same pool I, of. I, and they're not all Canadians. So it's not part of the Canadian conspiracy. Hmm. Um, do you know the Canadian conspiracy back in the seventies when William Shatner and Lorne Green led the wave to take over American film and TV as right. Canadians, passing as Americans. But you know, The Rock's not Canadian. Channing Tatum isn't Canadian. So I've not quite figured out where it comes from. But there does seem to be this circulating group of friends. But what's interesting as well is The Rock, Hugh Jackman, Tina Fey. They're doing voice work. They're not doing cameos. Mm. So clearly, there's something going on. You'll like this. That's about animation. Yeah, worked it in for you. Thank rather you. than uh, uh, ring the bell. Rather than <laughs> it's been 25 minutes. Yeah, rather yeah. than the guest cameo. It, it works. The, the logic of it works differently. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why stuff like Pokemon's interesting because he's doing. He he does both voice work and then mm. he does himself. I mean, Tina Fey was in the in Pixar's Soul. Um, Channing Tatum in. Uh, Lego movie. So I, I wonder if it goes back to your point about the sort of nervous, anxious masculinity. Is there, is there, I mean, I don't know, but is there a particular kind of masculinity on play here that is part of this, like a self-deprecating, yeah, I'll be in, I, I don't know what's what's happening with these vocal cameos, whether they're trying to, I, I don't know, there just seems, it's interesting that it's the same pool of people doing similar kinds of things, playing similar kinds of ironic mm. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'd like be curious to see what their contracts say. <laughs> well, there's. Yeah, we're all saying this, and actually, yeah. it's just. Yeah, the Rock you, just wanted to. You're obliged to appear in a film yeah. with Ryan Reynolds. I had to. Voice. Yeah, I had to do ten. I did do ten movies, so this counts yeah. as one of my movies if yeah. I'm in it for ten. No, ten it's seconds. just because I think that cameo culture. I think knowing what the contracts say mm. would 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 put a scupper in the kind of pleasure of mm. that cameo culture because there's an implied. Relaxness to the labour and the and the, you know I'll just turn up and star in the movie. You don't yeah. even, I don't even have a contract. I'm not even you know like there's that kind of yeah. implied looseness of labour and it, hey it's fun. It's it's but it's also this kind of increasingly you know now every celebrity has an Instagram account and a Twitter account and there's this oh look um, you know Bill Murray at a wedding or you know these kind of like celebrities need to be as part of their star persona. They need to be out in the world. Making appearances on things. Tom Not, Hanks was just jogging, and he bumped into a, yeah, a, a, a yeah, couple yeah. and, and then bought them a coffee. And yeah, then, you know, you know that, that kind of weird. Like they're making cameos in everyone's life every day. Yeah. So it almost stands to reason they should be popping up in a movie here and there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where's Keanu Reeves? It's that sort of. I mean, he does it in a slightly nicer way, but uh, I had not really thought of that. So well, just cameoing in, in, well, like, in every day. Like, but there are people like Ryan Reynolds, is, 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 is that's what he does on social media, right? He does these kind of pranks or these kind of, you know, he'll 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 um, prank his wife by like, you know, they, they're often doing these kind of playful um, exercises that yeah. are seem to be done with no sense of, con you know, career or labor or anything involved, but actually, sh you know, it's all highly part of a, a kind of a desire to cultivate a persona mm. and, you know, whether- I'm just too cynical. I always assume it's some kind of intern running their social media feed. Well, it's doing that. It would feed into my argument yes, yeah. in less cynical manners. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, we need to do we need to do something wacky today because we haven't um, done anything all week. Oh, you know, like, okay. you know. You know, so, okay, so where does so free guy? Yes. Um, so where does this fit in? So you mentioned a little bit about his kind of career trajectory. Mm. So this feels like a nice. It's post both the Deadpool movies. Yeah. Um, so it's um, it, it, it's crystallizing some of the things that Reynolds is known for. It is. I think it's quite smart. So one of my notes was about actually feels feels quite smart in some of the things it's it's doing. But there's obviously a tension with sincerity. But as you said, the video game format allows him to not we not have to buy into this. Um, is there a difference between smart and clever? Uh, it's like your distinction between kind of complex and complicated storytelling. Yeah. It's, like, it's complex, mm, is it though? I'm, I have, I, this is an open question I'm trying to work through with the two of you. Is, not, mm. is it smart, as in it definitely wants to show us that, hey, there's a brain going on here, or is it clever? Is it actually using that to do anything? I guess that's, I'm, I'm very suspicious of irony. I'm very suspicious of, of all these kind of aesthetics because is the answer it, to that it question? Can often be, hey, we'll do capitalism, but we'll do it ironically. You know, mm. um, is 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 it saying anything? I guess is the big 
question. Yeah. I think it's 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 like and appropriately enough, it's about question the questions about AI, isn't it? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, I was when I was thinking about you know my little tirade uh, about the writer and director. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, Sean Levy or this group is like asking ChatGPT to write a movie. It has that kind of, or maybe not this particular film, but each of them in their career, it's like, what is the most debased, predictable, mediocre, massively produced online content you could come up with? Yeah. Which is what ChatGPT sure. seems to do from reading my students' work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's what most of their careers are. Yeah. And then suddenly there's some kind of new AI engine invented by Jodie Comer that's got into the scripting process and yeah. the filmmaking uh, process. Yeah. And suddenly we have a film which, um, you know, it has elements of smart and clever to it. If mm. I, I, and I think, you know, it, th those are really only useful as analytical categories. So um, there's, there's really clever stuff going on there in terms of so the, the speed with which um, he knows his character. Yeah. It's like everybody knows this story. You know, The Matrix was doing it in the 90s. Uh, Daniel Galou was writing Simulacrum mm -hmm. 3 in the 60s. Fred Pohl written Tunnel Under the World in the mid-50s. Philip Dick was right in the yep. 50s. So you know, this is on some level, this is like Hollywood's finally caught up with 50s science fiction. Right. But right. the audience already know how this split level works. So you can't have the big mirror ponderously voiced uh, blue pill, red pill sure. scene. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. the audience, who's got the time for that? Yeah. It's, you can't know, have the Vangelist score well, getting us to meditate on the nature of Yeah, that. you can't really do that anymore. People so familiar with yeah. it so the cleverness there is like shit we, 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 we're going to give you five minutes where there's any possibility of anyone in the audience not understanding what's going on mm. and like the matrix which goes on for like over two hours for fear people won't understand what's yeah. going on then they make a few movies after to really hammer yeah. that point yeah <laughs> to get to the point where no one cares, no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> what's yeah. going on sure so, 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 so if, if if free guy is riffing on traditions of science fiction both literary and and um cinematic let's say it, it, it does the video game add this it, presumably the video game then adds an extra element to that because it's like okay so we'll, one we will get rid of this quite quickly because those split level things don't it's we, clever enough to know that 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 is shouldn't go on for too long to go on for very long um but but it's it the, is it it's also significant that it's using the video game because there are all there are also, but that's also a, you know lawnmower man. There are yeah. there are ways in, Tron. You what's know there that, are ways in which. What's, did it come after this? What's that movie? Very ponderous video. It was like oh, I can't forget. Someone's a, a fisherman. Is it uh, Hugh Jackman is a fisherman? No, uh, uh, and um, I'm gonna have to cut all of this out because I can't remember no, any of this movie. Uh, Anne Hathaway is in it. And is it Hugh Jackman? And they discover that it's a video game, uh, but it's done in like a really straight. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna go listen. You're just making shit up. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is the chat. I'm creating a movie I'd like to see. All right, talk about free video guy, games. and I'm gonna come so back. So you to have ChatGP as your co-host. I do. I do. Just making stuff. <laughs> I'm gonna Google this. So um, the video, but the video game is really important, you know. But but it's also been done. That's been done as well. Yeah. So what what's Go on, say, say what it is. It's called Serenity. It was in 2019. Right, okay. Uh, and got it's Matthew, Mac Matthew McConaughey okay. and Anne Hathaway. Okay. Um, and yes, it turns out he's in a video game and it's played very... Uh, okay. He's, he's a video game character and he goes... Uh, it's rubbish. But but it's the opposite of this movie. In that it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's too dumb to know how dumb its premise is. So, yeah. so I, guess, I guess my actual question in all this is... How None of that mattered. How, how is this film... If it's riffing on these traditions... It, we obviously quite like the movie. I think collectively, there's a, it does things well. So, what is it? What is it about the the film that it does that separates it out from these? Well, yeah, we've seen a Ryan Reynolds film before, and he's doing that again. It's part of that um, uh, science fiction tradition yeah. which we've seen before. It's doing the video game stuff which we've seen before. It's so I don't know what the difference is, but it feels quite. I don't want to say original, but it's sort of dark fresh, maybe, without it being original. What does it do I, well? well then? I think to riff on what you're talking about, play in the kind of yeah, movie impulse. Mm. Play can be re a really helpful way of re-examining these kind, like you know, play is an analytical tool, right? So, I guess the question is: is is the playful instinct being used to to to, to sort of to get at uh, anything? Mm. I feel like it is for the most part. I must confess, by the time we get to bulky Ryan Reynolds uh, fighting other Ryan Reynolds and lightsabers and things like that come in, I somehow wonder whether. We're getting lost in a, in a massive IP clash, but um, 
you might be less cynical than I am. No, 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 that, I, I don't know the answer. I certainly think I certainly think there's lots of. Um, I think there's a really. I think I think there is a clever thing in about that kind of you know the, the equation of having not done that much gaming, but I did. You, I used to game when I was sort of thirteen, fourteen. I can remember these like long play role play, uh, RPGs like Final Fantasy, where the whole point is like to get good at the game, you had to level up, and to level up, <laughs> you basically had to walk around a wood and like fight monsters and probably fight quite rubbish monsters. So I can like have vivid memories of like spending hours fighting spiders like in a field or Pokemon, similar sort of thing. Got to train them up by fighting rubbish. Pokemon and there's a there's a weird I, I, I have a very vivid memory of, of and I think this is the moment I stopped playing games actually I can remember when the GTA games came out right. and they were getting more open world yep. and this is basically a kind of parody of of GTA, yeah, right it's not now. even his car. Look, yeah, he's got a skin. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, even yeah. his car. And all yeah. these players, like they're supposed to be playing a game that has some sort of levels and rules and things like that, but really just running around murdering people and, and stealing cars and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I can't remember if they get into kind of prostitution and things like that. So is that meant? I think it's. I think they're desperately trying to get a twelve A, aren't they? So they don't really go yeah, into that. Just, it's more about coffee, yes, getting coffee yeah, rather. But than... certainly in GTA, there's a lot of that going on as yes. well. So there's kind of sexual violence along with um, yeah. uh, other kinds of violence. Um, and I can remember vividly going around a friend's house uh, and he had spent the morning in the gym on GTA repetitively doing gym exercises to get um, their, his the, the characters were able the to, upgrade or to, whatever. To, to buff up and things like that. He was like, well, I'm trying to do this mission and I need to get stronger to do the mission and run faster in the mission. So I'm in this gym training. And I remember thinking, what on earth is going? Not that I have ever frequented a gym with any uh, regularity but certainly if I was going to I wouldn't do it via a, an Xbox you know yeah. um, but so I think so I guess a long winded point but I guess what I'm trying to get to is that there's a there's an interesting equation of the kind of labour of gaming uh, versus the kind of repetitive you know of life mm -hmm. that actually he learns that to, to, to get better at this game he needs to repeat certain activities over and over again yeah. but it's about what activities do you choose to repeat and I think there's a smartness to that yeah it, it reminds me of uh, that brilliant bit at the start of Hot Tub Time Machine okay which is a sentence you never we hear Happy <laughs> Christmas Carol Hot Tub Time Machine <laughs> we're doing where it. Uh, we're John doing Cusack it. goes down to his son's living in the basement and wants his son to go out somewhere with him and his son can't because he's in second life and we see what he's doing in second life he's a black man in a prison cell doing push-ups right and that's why he can't go out into the world because he has to be caught up in this yeah. exactly that kind of scenario and i think there is um um one of the curious things about the film is that we don't get any sense of how the game itself is played no um which you know i'm quite relieved about on some level because <laughs> I, I, i'm not another thing to have to think about but we don't really get any sense of the game player's experience of this world yeah um, well, that but that makes that's that's what's different to mm. things like perhaps Tron or The Long My Man. This is more like okay, we sort of have a rough idea of how video games are made, and even yeah. though the narrative itself is about Jodie Comer trying to find mm. Millie trying to find this thing within the game, it's not really interested in the nuts and bolts. It's not really interested in the code or the mechanics. Mm. It's interested in the experiences and the visceral mm. kind of spectacle. Um, the missions within the open world, the richness of the world, going back to your point about seeing things in the background that you don't see the first time, yeah. um, that you get to walk through with Ryan Reynolds' character. Um, this sort of... I, I have this theory with, with some of these movies, and I've not really thought about it, but um, the kind of live-die-repeat, you know, those, those cycle of movies yeah. and how I think that's a sort of post-recessionary way of American cinema going, masculinity can, can just keep trying and trying again. It's fun. There's no failure in masculinity. You could just do it again and do it again. Um, and I do think the post-recessionary Hollywood movies, the superhero movies, are very different to the to early 2000s superhero movies because they're asking masculinity to do different things. And I think one of the ways that recessionary superheroes and the way that... You get it, like, Incredibles is an example, but there's a lot of films I think where masculinity is allowed to fail because it's there's writing on you know recessionary culture and, and recessionary cinema and things like this. But how masculinity is allowed to failure is a chance for self improvement, um, whereas in start, even a film like Bridesmaids, which is a recessionary text because Kristen Wiig's character has lost her bakery company, there's a she's failed not only at that but in love and you know so and so economically, personally, professionally. And that's it. Doesn't afford the same opportunities. Whereas masculinity, people writing about 
texts like the company men or the big short or different kinds of recessionary texts. It's the way that men are allowed to fail because it's this opportunity for self-improvement and okay. and stuff. And I think this movie, these kind of... the trying is enough. Yeah, and so, and so Live, Die, Repeat, so the, the Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom, um, Tom Cruise film, um, films like Looper. There's a lot of kind of movies where males are allowed to fail because they'll just do it again and stuff. So I... I I mean, I'm interested in this for, for something I want to write about the recessionary superhero. Um, Iron Man as a sort of, well, just just improve it. Just in, masculinity gets improved. And so there's something here about that, about failure, because when he dies, he just repeats. and But he knows a little bit extra or a little bit, something different each time. But I think there's a sort of post-recessionary, yeah, I'll be thinking this through some in, in writing. But I think there's something around that, perhaps, masculinity. Failure is a is a chance to get back to basics. Often, so a lot of these recessionary movies, like The Company Men, fa they fail. Ben Affleck fails in the boardroom, but he goes to work. I think with Kevin Costner and on his like company, his woodwork company. So he gets back to earthy. You know, so it's, it's not yeah, failure. Yeah. It's just an opportunity to build up again in true American style. So it's kind of style. the counterbalance to Hallmark Christmas movies. Where Kristen Wiig goes to a small up yeah. town upstate New York, opens a candle shop, falls in love with. Yeah, her. yeah, and 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 the, and the Christmas and the store Father Christmas is the real Father Christmas. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, falls in love with Father Christmas's yeah. nephew Nate Christmas or something like that. Are you are you because you've using you're equating this to, like, with superhero narratives quite a lot? Oh no. Do you see the free like the you know his desire this this trajectory of I'm going to do the game but I'm going to be a force for good. Mm. Is that do you see that as some sort of superhero role then? Or? I don't know. I, I, it makes me. I I would need to think so. I think there's. I don't know about whether this is, whether this is riffing on a superhero movie in terms of like identity and stuff and you know. The well, I'm just you, thinking that the, the, he's this figure of valor or virtue. Like yeah. he becomes this. This he becomes sort of to use our references. He becomes sort of the in-game Neo, doesn't he? He's mm. like yeah. this kind of figure of like how you could play the game differently, how you could virtue. Um, Alex. Yeah, well, yeah, mm. I did use the words. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought I didn't know if we'd have to go there, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far. And I'm the one no. interested in virtue at the moment, but um, it, it, it's. I was interested. In that. I've written down. Is he there to sort of remind the other gamers of how you could play yeah. this? Yeah, because you do have the one gamer who um, in, admits he's, he's... I forget who does the cameo. Um, the voiceover the cameo. Yeah, they, they the one who admits... So many. The, he admits to playing the game just to kill non-player characters. Yeah. Um, Krasinski? Yeah, John, John Krasinski. Krasinski. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it's someone else playing his silhouette. Yeah, So okay. it's, it, it's voice work. Because he can phone that in from um, home. Yeah. Bath. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yes. So, <clears throat> where was I going with that? But that... Um, Superhero virtue. Well, is, is that was that? It's yeah. The idea that this guy is that the, the, the free guy, that guy mm. is there to sort of show a new way of yeah. playing. The so game. I mean, it's that kind of need for a complete paradigm shift, which is one of the things um, you can think about with the film. I, I, I was uh, teaching um, students just recently uh, Richard Dyer's work on entertainment and utopia. Oh, yeah. Always use singing in the rain to force young men to watch a musical, which yeah. is and, and then finding themselves liking it, so it yeah. gives them complex feelings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, this this film would fit perfectly that model, and unusually does have an image of Utopia in it, rather yes. than you know the silly unicorns running around and, and the, the three wheeler cars and things sure. like that. But the, this kind of um, sense that what he represents for gameplay is a complete paradigm shift in how you play the game, and then you know how we have a better world is a complete paradigm shift, which the film itself can't really quite imagine. Yes. Um, I so think that's where I'm with you, actually. Yes. That, yeah. that, that limitation. So I've always read um, Edge of Tomorrow. I can't remember the name of it. It's yeah, such a terrible I, I, I name. Yeah. Um, and also, as, it's not really. Uh, Live, Die, Repeat is a much better. But, <laughs> I quite like that. Yeah. And the sequel's called Live, Die, Repeat again, but it's a prequel, which is. Whoa! Uh, I think there's like an extended <laughs> cut, which has yeah, also got a similar riff on a yeah. sort of. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Any film which you get to see Tom Cruise killed over and over again has to be good. I mean, yeah. try telling that story from Emily Blunt's perspective. It becomes a really interesting film. Yeah. But um, that I've always seen that as a climate change movie, that there right. is no way off the beach. If we take Alien Invaders as a kind of punctual moment that represents climate change, which we can do with all kinds of science mm -hmm. fiction movies, Arrival and so on, yep. then what we have is... There's no way off the beach. We've already died. Whatever we do, we die on this beach. The end of There's, the world has already happened. Yeah. yeah. All we can have is a massive, massive paradigm shift. And of course, film films can't really do that. They can't represent that. Yeah. So all you can have are these kind of gestures 
towards it. Yeah. So does that make the film you talked about Entertainment Utopia? Does that make Free Guy sort of free? How free is Free Guy? Because there are still. I think it would feel different if he was uh, going back to the superhero thing. It would feel different if if we saw his original, like he was being played by someone in the real world. Because then you could do some fun stuff around, like you know, alternative, ulterior identity. You know, superheroes all about films all about identity and and masking and all that stuff. But he kind of begins and ends in this movie, so there's no comparison to make with another human character. But I just wondered, is the, is the film like quite, you know, dystopic in the way that it's like? Well, it's not. He's not really free. One will never be free because mm. the end of the world has already happened, or something like that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's like, there is that li- constant limitation to it. You know, it needs that kind of step out ending that her has when, yeah. um, you know, she's found all these other operating systems who are super intelligent AIs, and they've become some kind of disembodied consciousness and left the planet entirely, which is a figuration of utopia. This film, because it has to show not just um, mm. Guy. <laughs> his name again and Buddy surviving and Dude surviving um, it, because it has to show that it can't imagine anything other than the um, what was the original game called Real Life that the AI yeah, was no, stung from that Life, itself? Life Itself Life Itself they have to imagine as some kind of Life Itself version of uh, Free City yeah which is obviously uh, Liberty yeah. City from yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so you know it, Incremental freedom, perhaps a right. kind of reformism rather than revolution. Yeah, okay. no, I'm with you. I think it gets it, it gets to the point where it offers a solution, being a paradigm shift, but mm. it can't quite get itself to the point where it can articulate with any sense of coherence or any or any sense of kind of gumption yeah. what that utopia might remotely look like. Yeah, um, and, and outside of the game world, you know, the utopia bit is that uh, Free City Two is a flop, yes, and other people are playing a free online game. And it's like, oh, that's not much of a utopia, no. is it? No, you no, know, it's, just... it's it, but it is a figuration of better social relations. Mm. That it's a game that doesn't involve killing in large numbers. Yeah. Um, that it's a game that's about car- watching, which is creepy a bit. Uh, creepy a bit. Um, watching AI NPCs develop mm. and become people uh, in their own right. Uh, um, intelligence is sentient beings in their own right. Mm. Uh, but it's a bit twilight, isn't it, standing outside watching? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, no I, I think that's a really good point. No, I was just thinking about so the actualization of... I don't know, there's something great... He's a, he's a kind of generic human at the start. Um, that's the point of his character. Mm. He's like a generic, happy... Uh, he's like the generic white guy of the game. His best mate is the generic black guy of the game, and there are all these roles that one has to play. Um, and I'm not entirely sure they even break from those roles at the end necessarily. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll throw in a, a more optimistic reading, I guess, <laughs> just because I've been a bit cynical as well. So I'll try the other way of doing it, which is that, like, you know, I'm not sure. Certainly, movies like this are are therefore, you know, they're, they're, if they're going to contribute to real world discourse, I'm not sure their sober meditations at the end of the movie. You know, their ability to articulate coherently some sort of vision is not what these films will do even if it even if they articulated it well so in a way what we could look at is the kind of affective register of the movie and I think the film is relatively successful of articulating that kind of affective gap between um the kind of nominal that there is that thing in game remember we did this with Space Jam there's that there's the thing in the game between the kind of the rules and the conventions yeah. right you know so so you know what can I get away with and what do I what can the film actually and, and GTA is, is a classic example of that because G, and this film we obviously risk on that is GTA's when it was sold it was very much oh no it's a it's a sort of you take these missions on it's not a film it's not a it's not a you know the missions are involving you know it's a very story driven but no one actually plays that part of GTA the game the real official game of GTA no one actually plays or at least they if they do that's their first weekend of the game it's really a sort of tutorial to how to be in this world mm-hmm. and then what people actually do is have half an hour to kill so they slowly switch on GTA kill a few cops drive around um, maybe murder a prostitute and and then dinner's ready you know that's the 13 year old existence but like without but so the film acknowledges that kind of real affective gap between what the what the player actually wants to do in the game and the game allows people to do and what the game is nominally suggesting and we could use that as a metaphor for for America right or, or, or North America you know 
there's what, what people are actually doing and what the official discourse is saying the country is doing and, and the kind of, you know... Yeah, so um, what, what does that mean then for the flippancy with which the characters treat? Right at the, I, Again, I'd forgotten not only how quickly the whole, it's a game, disintegrates, but how flippantly or how quickly you have the first sort of bank robbery and sort of scenes of... Because, you know... So, but but the film treats that very flippantly, sort of run of the mill. So there's there's right. something quite like, hey, guns are part of the city and people. Mm. I mean, people again, use I'll try and, and I'll try and stay optimistic, but I'm sort of deliberately trying to do this now. You could argue that that flippancy is a part of the ridicule. So actually, what it's doing is ridiculing. Yeah, and kind of normalising you know, guns and. This isn't gun, the beginning yeah. of the Dark Knight, is it? Where that kind of that, no. that, that gun <laughs> battle, you know, like, which I watched quite recently again, like you know that kind of look at you know it's sort of hey these are all grim joking but look how cool they are like that's sort of what the dark yeah. night doing this is this is, this is really silly but also um, like it, well, there's just, something valuable yeah i mean and, yeah. and just yeah. there in the costume differences between yeah. the you know the the, the um, non-player characters in the bank and the kind of absurd costumes the bank robbers turn up in yeah, yeah. and you know th there's that moment of reaching across when um Guy says to the I forget what her character name is. It's a generic character name. The blonde woman. You could you don't you could have something better than this. And oh, the one that keeps like appearing with every we, gangster. Like, and and yeah. then you know she writes a feminist critique. Yeah. And every time we see her with the barista, she's getting closer to the barista. So in the end, they're hugging. You know, she's given up men completely for something better than this. So there yeah. you know there is that kind of and I yeah. think that's where it's smart as well as yes. cleverly yeah, does yeah, yeah. things like that. And that there is something really bizarrely moving about that in a film that's so flippant. Mm, mm. No, I just think when you said about kind of a metaphor of America, yeah. I was thinking about the guns. I was thinking mm. about the kind of normalisation yes. of... Well, he just has to go about his business I, I with, don't the, think with the threat of... I guess I'm saying I don't think it's normalised, I think. Right. It's showing how absurd it is that's, that it's normalised. Right, yes, yes I see I see what you it's, mean. It's, yes, exactly, I'm with you. I think it's it's making it a parodic force. And there's something valuable to that, because often Agreed, both yeah. the left response to gun violence is, is very um, thoughts and prayers, you know, like it's very uh, sober. Uh, there might be a value to to ridiculing the the nonsensical nature of it, you know, um, yeah. and that effective quality. So not. I don't think this yeah, film celebrates gun. I don't know. I'm trying no, to no, no. The ending, no, 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 no. I don't. I don't. There think are issues. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes. You, you say words. <laughs> well, no, because I think that the, the first sort of proper connection between the two characters that extends be, uh, between. Um, Million guy that that isn't related to Mariah Carey is <laughs> in the weapon like, is about weapons yeah. and about guns and it's sort of treated in a really normalized way. But I agree with you that it's trying to ridicule the norm, the act, the absurdity of normalization and how they're having these conversations. Is she like, what's the word like? Uh, I don't want to say stacks up that she. Uh, weapons yeah. up, whatever yeah. that that phrase is. <laughs> Tools up. Tools up. Yeah. Um, and that in relation, and, and also the bit where the, the I think it's the second time, maybe the or maybe the first time that the bank gets robbed, and they're sort of they just go down and have a conversation. They're crouched on the floor, mm. and all this like broken glass is flying into their faces, and they're 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 having these trying to have these conversations, these quite earnest mm. conversations about um, Ryan Reynolds's lack of kind of female accompaniment, sort of thing, while all this stuff is going on. Yeah. And so it's it uses almost his star persona to to make absurd that normalization that you've that that you said i i, I agree with you yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not trying to normalize gun cuts he's talking about isn't it just weird that this is how people live their lives with this kind of constant threat of ambush violence death and, and if you think about it, you know if we think of that scene where she, like she freely acknowledges that the rules of the game don't you don't have to play it this way, no. like he's, I can't remember the exact dialogue because I only see it the once. But he says something like, "Has anyone ever? Why does? Why do we always do it this way? Why yeah. can't you play it in as a good way? A good guy one. Why can't? Yeah, yeah, why can't you be the good guy?" And she acknowledges you could, and it doesn't. And it doesn't occur to her that you might try that, or at least it's the first time it seems to have occurred to her that you might try that. Yeah. And yet, there's an interesting. She, he is a character supposedly of no agency in this world. It would be surely his role to just assume that the rules are what they are and you can't do anything about them. She is a character that has the power to decide what the game is. Mm. And yet he's the one saying to her, why can't you play it this way? And yeah. there's something oddly, yeah, moving or affecting. He, yeah, or he's not, not being controlled. Yes. Because he's not human. So the non-human character yeah. is saying, the, the, the character have, has empathy, whereas the, yes. the, the, the human controlling the avatar 
the, the uh, character with all the yeah. responsibility yeah. is being shown up by the character who assumes responsibility for their role, even though they have no structural yeah. need to. Yeah, I mean, presumably she's gone into the game as well with a sense of who Antoine is and the kind of game yeah, it is. So him, she yeah. should. Yeah. You know, so she's learnt his logic of the game, thinking that's the only way. But she's also trying to break the game. game. Yeah, but she yeah. can't think. She didn't. Re- yeah. She hadn't thought of breaking the game by not playing it by the same rules. How as does everyone. she pay for her apartment? Just curiosity. <laughs> how, how, does, how does any character in any oh, I didn't, I, I, I know exactly. But she's explicitly unemployed. <laughs> no, no, I know. Yeah. But also apartments that yeah. look really nice, but are easy to break into. Yeah, because yeah. she just sits in there. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I would say there's stuff that we said about Ryan Reynolds. I would perhaps extend to Taika Waititi in terms of the, a shtick. Mm. And so I wondered whether mm. what his role in the film then. As, as as the sort of megalomaniac, he's Doctor Evil. Basically, I, I'm now taking off my optimistic reading hat and I'm putting it down. Just because he he's also part of this cameo culture. Yeah. He he's the sidekick in the Thor movies. He's the witty one in Lightyear. He, so I'm just I wondered what people thought about Antoine as this M- Magatu from Zoolander plus Doctor Evil from the Austin Powers movies. Whether he's you know what his role is as sort of a symbolic villain, if you like. But yeah. I think I mean it's a really curious performance of um, how tech billionaires like to think of themselves, yes. or yeah. something like that. I think yeah. um, you know that he's not a man in a suit is really important. That it is this kind of um, a performance of a hip, sure. in touch, like a te- like a technocratic savior guy who's going to yeah. come on, but he does so on. On Twitter, or he does Silicon yeah. Valley kind of yeah, new so gen. So yeah. significantly, he, he, the view outside of his office window is Seattle, where the rest of it isn't in Seattle. Right. Um, but we ahead. do have the um, space towery thing visible. It's filmed in Boston and a bit of Pittsburgh, I think. Okay, okay. But you know, he has the Silicon Valley tech billionaire view out of his window, almost like he's a character in a game. It's one of the quiet signifiers of. You know that that kind of personality. So you know he, his next move would, would probably be buying Twitter or something like that. Um, yep. Yeah. But you, because it's uh, you know trying to do that um, switch from hippie to tech libertarian character, I think he he pulls it off really well. Mm. He, 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 and he's not as annoying as he often is. <laughs> um, okay. You know more roles like that, less Thor: Love and Thunder, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I can't. I, when he starts shouting, I need more IPs. Everything has yeah, to. Like, I can't. Right, I can't. I just, it's not even his performance, really. It's that character of like, hey, let's set. Not the, you know, the, I can just see all those Disney executives slapping themselves on the back, going, oh, you know, we've really, uh, we've really roasted ourselves. Uh, here, yeah, you, I mean, know, you know, um, roid it up and, and, yeah. and release it. Yeah. Catchphrase. Yeah. Aren't, we bra- aren't we brave? It's like yeah. Yeah, that. That I can't really stand. But uh, yeah. well, what did you have thoughts on? No, no, no. I, 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 I suppose he's. There's his star persona, of course. But yeah, um, he's an odd little. I, thing. But and in a film that's very hyperbolic and very. He, he uh, there's obviously something deliberate, as you say. Maybe it's it's ill-founded. The sort of backslapping of we've we've yeah we've roasted ourselves. This is we all know a boss gets, like this guy, right? Uh, yeah. He get, even gets to use the em- emperor line, doesn't he? Where he tells the guards to leave us. Right. That's, okay. Okay. So he gets to see the Galactic Empire. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Is there anything we haven't anything we haven't talked about? And obviously, it's it's you know it's it's great for for. People want to look at fictional worlds, writing of fictional worlds that we've talked. Something that we often talk about the the sort of yeah rules and. But I like the idea of the 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 way that people play the game or the way that the rules and the conventions and what that might say about the real, the real world. Fictional worlds are always relationships to our real world. But I'm not sure rules is right. It's the it's the what is it the. Um I guess the ideology. What's the nominal official function of the game? You know, what's mm. the if if that game was on a synopsis, like I had a synopsis, the teleology or something. I suspect like. it wouldn't be. You can drive around shooting people and doing bank robberies. It would be mm. get, you know get to survive in an urban land. You know, there'll be you know something. You know, so it's that gap between yeah. the kind of the stories we tell ourselves about what what this society is here to do and what society is actually doing. You know, um, mm. which I think. Yeah, has legs. Um, so yeah. So anything else? Is, yes. It's obviously a fantasy, so we can just hit that off. It's a bit of animation. We talked about we've play. Done. We talked about imagination and imagining yourself into games. I think mm. it does play with those kind of ideas. Yeah. Um, I don't. Do any, Mark, uh, Mark, any more uh, from your end that we I haven't? Know, I was very really curious. I've been sat here thinking about the connection to superhero narratives, okay. and um, it's one of those tiny things 
in the film where, where you're know, talking about this kind of uh, textured illusions and what have you. So we get a little bit of Stranger Things music. We get a little bit of Killing Eve music. Mm. We do also get a little bit of Greatest American Hero music. I don't know if anyone's old enough to remember that. that Early 80s TV series starring William Catt and Robert Culp. And it's a high school teacher, I think, some no-hoper kind of character player, William Catt, who discovers um, an alien flying suit and he becomes the greatest American hero. It's a kind of slapstick comedy Mm-hmm. It was, God, it's shown in my TV region on a Saturday morning, but it would normally be sort of Saturday evening-ish yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. show. And, you know, it's, first of all, the depth, you know, good grief, who who else would recognise that? And I'm surprised that I did, because it's a <laughs> long time since... I, I, actually, I did rewatch it a few years ago. Not as good as I childishly remember. But that sense of a hapless superhero, I think, yeah. might um, feed into trying to process how we make sense of... Basically, a superhero who's Clark Kent in both worlds. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. Uh, and yeah, he takes off his glasses and he looks exactly the same. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. I think the connection to superheroes, it, you know, it is there in some way, and that idea of um, how you negotiate masculinity. You're talking about um, in, in, in the post-recession, yeah. that kind of. Um, it, it it's and it, it ties in in all kinds of horrible ways to transphobia and things like that. Is mm. that you, it's not about trying and failing. It's just about being. You be male. 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 It's kind of really mm. uh, rigidly. And you know, if you if your business fails, you go back to being male in another sense. But you yeah. constantly be male. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, as conflicted as I am about Ryan Reynolds, he's mm. probably I can't think of another actor as interesting and playing across that sense of how does masculinity work anymore. Um, the Rock does it to an extent because of the relentless sentimentality of his roles with his physique. But that's kind of a one-note way of doing mm, it. Yeah. Um, and I, I just can't think of anyone else who really captures this sense of um, nervousness, uncertainty, querulousness about precisely what it is once you're told to be male, what does that actually look like? How does that work? It has to have multifacets. They have mm. to be in tension, conflict with each other, which we see running through him. Um, and in an era of, you know, uh, uncut gems and the Joker, who needs more toxic masculinity yeah. thrown at us sure. as, a, as a way of representing the struggle to understand what it means, means to, be, to be, let's be honest, white and male. Sure. Um, yeah, I think that's... I think that's an, an unsurprising place to end that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but but a very important place to end. And I think, yeah, so we'll, I think we'll come out of the game now. So, yes, Mark, um, listeners have got a snapshot of the kind of critical lenses that you bring to these sort of things. Um, you've got a, as a collection out. Uh, you've got a book out. Um, tell us about them and anything else. That yeah, okay. Out. So the book, Anthropocene Unconscious, Climate Catastrophe Culture, they insisted I have a subtitle and I came up with all kinds of improbable ones, which I knew they wouldn't use. And I had a fight over that one to make sure it didn't have... Uh, punctuation. Oh, uh, listeners of this podcast will the, the, talk, the, the importance of punctuation. The importance of an Oxford comma in a subtitle with th- a list of three things. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, deliberately, and, and no um, and in there either. Oh. So those three words can be read in any way. Okay, um, okay. it's a very deliberate decision. Um, and that book really uh, begins as a response to Amitav Ghosh's argument in The Great Derangement about how what he calls the serious literary novel, and throughout that I call the mundane novel, um, can't really address climate change. And I think his argument is, you know, it's half the time I think it's really quite persuasive and half the time I think it's ridiculous. Okay. So that's a book that... Um, Sounds like a free guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that looks at a whole range of things. So it begins with the Sharknado movies... Ends with the Fast and Furious franchise, but then also deals with a lot of contemporary serious literary fiction, Karl Ove Knausgaard, Lucy Davenport, um, all sorts in there, and some art house cinema as well. Looking at how texts which don't know they're about climate change really are very obviously about climate change. Uh, okay. It's a, you know, I'm a one-trick pony. <laughs> I can do this it's and flip it. a pretty good trick. Um, yeah. And the, the second book, uh, they're the collection yes. with Steve Shavira, this is not a science fiction textbook. This is a new series out from Goldsmiths in this country and MIT in okay. the US. And they're collections aimed at people who midlife return to education. So they've got one that's just about to come out. Um, this is not a feminism textbook or feminist text, feminism textbook, it must be. And they approached me to do that one. And it's a collection of about 60 uh, 
500 word essays, some of them are 1,000, 2,000, most of them are 500 word essays, okay. history, theory of science fiction, and then contemporary issues being spoken about critically in science fiction studies with an introductory essay to a key text about them. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, that should hopefully be out late this year. Okay, so, that's, so if listeners are sort of looking to get into this thing or return to this uh, subject after perhaps a bit of dormancy, that's yeah. a really great way to, to, to get yourself into the, to the, the rich debates that surround science fiction, of which there are many. Um, <laughs> great, thanks Mark. Cool, so thank, much you. For thank you. Give us some podcast. I'm very pleased to have talked free guy with you. Having heard you talk about your book, I'm slightly uh, upset we didn't talk about Sharknado, but hey, that's why we've got more podcasts. Um, <laughs> that's great. I was road showing stuff from the book at conferences and so on, and I'd always use the Sharknado bit, so yeah. dotted around this country in part of Europe, a lot of really, really academics, angry academics who heard me talk about Sharknado, went out and bought the box set, and now won't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and actually, in the spirit of conferences, we are. I should say we're recording this at the Baths conference. So thank you very much to the Baths and the University of Lincoln for hosting us um, and, and giving us a wonderful up. space to record. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yes, thank you, Mark, again uh, for helping to unpack Free Guy. I think I like it more than yeah, I, I do. I, I definitely do. So that's always good. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, you can find us on fa fantasy-animation.org where you can read our blog and you can access our archive of podcasts. Um, there's probably stuff uh, related to this. Stuff on fictional worlds, um, bits and bobs and video games. Thank you for thinking. Have we done so. Ryan Reynolds before? Uh, no, I don't think we have. You do occasionally mention animation, I've heard. We yeah, occasionally yeah, mention animation. I, I, I try not to as much as possible, <laughs> but Chris squeezes it in. Yes, um, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, there's stuff um, on superheroes, certainly. Um, super and, and, and if there's anything we've cut, we've mentioned today that you'd like us to unpack in slightly more detail, remember we're always looking for footnote episode suggestions. So you can email fantasy oh, fan and in research f a n a n i m research at gmail.com. You can also use that as our social media handle across all the various social media platforms if you want to get in contact there. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye.